Hey guys, what's up and welcome back to week 16, that's right, sweet 16 to That Scale RC Show. I'm your host, Adam Dean, alongside with... Jeremy Kendall. And we have so much to talk about this week, it's not even funny. Last no. week... <laughs> the funny stuff we talked about before this. <laughs> uh, yeah, if we ever had an episode of just bloopers and behind-the-scenes stuff, man, that'd be a, it'd, it'd be an interesting show. It would definitely get the most downloads for sure. <laughs> definitely. But um, on a, on another note, we were going to record last week, but um, I was up at Axial Fest and we didn't get back to the house until about like eight thirty nine o'clock that night so we just kind of decided at that point it might have been easier if we just wait and then um we could actually talk about all the axial fest stuff once we recorded this week which is what we're going to do tonight um and i believe and i believe you went to a um event this weekend too yeah yeah our club at a comp on sunday so so like i said so we have a lot to talk about yes so, we do so you want to just dive into it, just tear yeah, the band let, off? Yeah, dude, let's hear about Axial Fest, man. Okay, so Axial Fest 2019, if you didn't know already, it's over with. It was last week, Wednesday to Saturday, and it was at Donner Ski Ranch. Now, myself, I've never crawled at Donner before, so that was new to me. Um, and a lot of people prior to Axteel Fest uh, were complaining about the location change and then the other big complaint if they weren't complaining about the location change they were complaining about the camping situation they were like it's not Cisco it's you know so it's going to be in a parking lot this makes no sense and there's a lot of just unnecessary whining in my opinion but for the way they set everything up the way they handled the event the organization, the flow, you really couldn't get much better than what they did as far as an event standards goes. Really? I mean, so I, I'll admit, we get there Wednesday morning, and we didn't really know where to go. Because, you know, like Cisco, you've been going so many years, you're kind of like, all right, pull in, register, go get your campsite, go up to the pavilion, blah, 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 blah. This way, you kind of like were like it was like a crapshoot you really didn't know where to go you knew you couldn't pull into the main parking lot because that was all they had it all sectioned off for the camping so you're kind of like okay what do we do so me and elio actually happened to park on the side of the road um up uh, up across the street and then we walked down to the big line and we were like hey is this where we're supposed to go for um you know to check in and they were like yeah um wait in line they're gonna ask you how many people are in your group and they're letting like groups of like five and six go up and you turn in your release of liability, you get your little you get your scorecard and your goodie bag, you sign the little um, the poster that they had and um, you know, all that stuff. And once you did that, you were able to go either to your parking or campsite if you ha if you register for a campsite, um, or go hit the trails. We opted to go hang out at Todd Norton's camp. Um, and it was pretty cool. We had it. Uh, it was, you know, definitely. I mean, the way I would describe it is, it's very similar to some of the camping at Cisco Grove, minus 
the hookups because you didn't have hookups. That was the one drawback, but people made it work. Um, if you had a generator, you just hook up to the generator. Yeah, they did have a, night, a quiet time cutoff. Like at 10 o'clock, you had to turn all generators off. Um, but it was it was. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, you had your spot. The only thing you didn't have was a bunch of trees between your campsites. You were literally right next to everybody else. But I mean, the thing that blew my mind about the camping was Wednesday. We got all set up, got our goodie bags, got all our stuff, went back to the Jeep. We were hanging out, and then we said, all right, let's go check out the train tunnels because if you've been up to Donner Pass before, there there are these uh, abandoned train tunnels, and they're sweet. Um, you go through the first one, and it's all cut into the mountain, and then once you get to the end of it, there's like a concrete expansion part of it, and it's just all graffitied up and... Um, it was pretty cool, and we made it through there, and then there's another set of tunnels, but we didn't go much farther. We kind of just tooled around there and got, got some pictures and just kind of like hanging out. Well, we were in there for maybe hour and a half, two hours tops. We walked back out, um, so from like 1 to like 3 o'clock, we were gone. We walked back out, and the parking lot was completely filled. It was just mind-blowing how fast it filled up, and... That was just everybody getting there on Wednesday. Um, I was only there myself until Thursday evening uh, because I had other arrangements that were um, kind of already set up before Axial Fest had moved mm-hmm. um, dates. So, but but like what I got to experience was a lot of fun. We the trails, yes, they were not Cisco Grove, but the ones at the tippy top. I think it was Trail F went up to the to the summit some of the best views and some of the best pictures I've ever seen from Axial Fest. Oh, I was wow. like, I was blown away. I'm kind of bummed I didn't go that far up. We we kind of stayed mid-mountain. We went up, kind of turned around, came back, and the cool thing was where we kind of like centralized our crawling was around, they had like this, I call it an outpost. It was like a trail outpost, and it was basically a pop-up tent with some picnic tables a barbecue some coolers and they were selling refreshments and hot dogs and hamburgers so you could get something to eat out on trail it was it was pretty cool wow and um the other thing that i thought was pretty cool was they watered the parking lot where everybody was camping the water truck made rounds through there like i want to say once every half hour to an hour the water truck would go around and and just wet the whole ground so you weren't getting that dust kicked up in your face that is way cool so they were doing that uh they were at, they were patrolling the campgrounds the the axial um employ i don't know if they were employees but they were wearing green axial staff shirts and they were in the rangers cruising around um checking everything out so oh. i mean it was it was it was a fun time um i wish i stayed the full four days but Unfortunately, um, with my situation, um, I had family from Utah coming out. They come out for one week every um, every uh, August, and it's usually the uh, or July. It's usually the last, like third to last week of July, and uh, that's just when they happen to move Axial Fest. So last year. We lucked out. It was Axial Fest was the weekend before they got here, so it worked out. This year, I just had to, you know, make both work. So, but otherwise, a blast. Um, 
I got to run the Wraith 1.9 for its like real first shakedown run. Um, I ran the Yeti Junior, the Can Am for the first well, for the first time for more than 30 minutes, uh, and that was a blast. Uh, just like everything overall was was fun. There was like there really wasn't anybody having a bad time. Like it was just like really nice to see everybody just going out and having fun and and just making the best of this um, event because, in my opinion, we've always talked about this on the show. But in my opinion, you know, they made lemonade out of lemons. You know, a situation happened where it wasn't at Cisco anymore. A lot of what face, a lot of the face of Axial that we knew is gone. It's a handful of existing employees with some new Horizon employees, and I think they did a fantastic job. Nice. And it was really funny to see everybody kind of complain, saying, "Yeah, I'm not going. Axial Fest is dead. This, that, and the other." And then once all the pictures and the videos and everything started rolling through. The number one comment I saw was, man, I wish I would have went. That's awesome. So it's it's just telling you right there that that's, you know, that's cool. And it was. It was a smaller number. I still um, haven't seen an exact, you know, head count of how many people were there. But I want to say it was somewhere between 800 and 1,000 people, which sounds like a lot. You know, most people listening to this, they're going to be like, holy crap, that many people at an event. But if you've been to Axial Fest in the past, those numbers were numbers that Axial Fest was pulling four years ago, yeah, five years ago. Exactly. So it's like to hear that now, you know, being at the level that it's at, you're, you, you'd almost go, oh, that's crazy. Like, why? Like, that's low. But it was actually like a comfortable amount. Like, it wasn't overpowering. It wasn't overbearing. It wasn't too much for people to handle. Um, I even got to meet um, RC Girl for the first time in person, so that was pretty cool. She did a little, uh, a little interview vlog thing on uh, Two Chains and asking a little bit more about that Scale RC show. So that was pretty cool. We did that. Um, participated in the concourse on Thursday. Uh, which I believe, um, don't quote me on this, but I thought Elio said I got second place in the de-raising class. What is that? The tow truck. What does that mean? So the de-raising was the or the rigs that are kind of built that are kind of beat up and weathered and have oh, trail damage. Okay. So um, I entered the tow truck in that and. His tow truck with the trailer took first place, and I think mine took second place. It's either second or third. I'm not 100% sure. I still haven't seen it because um, he accepted it on Saturday night. So, like I said, I still haven't seen it. But um, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. So, and the fact that they had an on-site restaurant, it was. I mean, you really didn't have to pack a whole lot. Yes, I do have to say. If you've ever been to like a ballpark or an amusement park, they were amusement park ballpark style pricing. Like, you know, it was kind of like mind blowing because <laughs> we were at Seven Eleven the day before and I bought a Gatorade. You know, just the standard one. I, th- I want to say it's like a twenty-four ounce. Mm-hmm. You know, or something like that. Uh, Gatorade. I think I paid a dollar thirty. It was four dollars at Donner. Oh I mean, wow. It's, <laughs> 
So it's it's a big difference, but you know you you expect that at a place like this, you know, it, it's there convenient and it's, right. it's a convenience to you and they have to make money yeah so. exactly but i mean otherwise it was like i said it was fun and uh you know i'm excited for next year they already started talking about um next year so it'll be exciting to see where they're going to hold it at i know people have asked you know oh is it going back to cisco is it staying at donner is it going somewhere else um honestly I, to me, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't bother me if it went either way. If it was at Donner again, I'd still go. I'd, I'd still, I'd probably actually camp this time just because there was so much fun. Yeah. Um, and if it was at Cisco, I'd still do the same thing. Go to Cisco, camp, you know. So, either way, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I know I'm missing something. There's something else I wanted to mention about Axial Fest, and I forget what it is right now. Oh, that's what it was. We, I was watching. Uh, Chris Crew Jones and the 801 crew set up for the Ultra 5K. Yeah. I am so glad I did not participate in that this year. Well, one, I couldn't <laughs> because it was on Friday. But they basically ran straight up the mountain. I was like, nope. nothing. <laughs> no, thank you. That was, you know, because it's higher than Cisco. But see, at least at Cisco, it kind of stays on the same plane like you're kind of just running in a big circle whereas this was like up the mountain then down this one and then around and then back up again i was like yeah not happening so i was kind of glad but surprisingly um we had rc girl on here a few weeks ago and she was asking us a bunch of questions about the ultra and what to do and what to have and all that she got first place in the women's class in the 5k that's rad Good for her. So, so, yeah, so that was pretty cool. A first-timer at Axial Fest and a first-timer at Ultra taking home the win. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's badass. Right on. Well, congratulations, so, RC Girl. So, yes. So, um, I, like I said, I think that's really about it. Oh, got to see the 6x6 in person. Yeah. Um, that thing is badass. It's... They, they redesigned the third axle um, so that way it would turn properly. Um, it's still a one-piece housing, um, but it is a, a redesigned third axle, and the rear suspension is, I call it independent, meaning that the two axles in the rear are not connected by the same shared um, link. They have their own set of four link going to each axle, so the thing allows it to pivot, which makes crawling that much better. And I believe Rich said that they are going to uh, release everything after the kit or after the RTRs come out, which at 450 is a killer price for a six by six. Yeah. Um, after they come out, they're going to start offering the upgraded parts because I believe it's a rear. Um, uh, it's a rear chassis extension with a um, with the with the axle, and then I guess it would be the last set of four links, and you basically can turn your uh, UMG10 into a six by six. Definitely going to be doing that. I saw that thing, so, and I was so excited about. It. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to wait till the parts come out, and we're going to switch ours to that. That's too cool not to. I've never had one, and I just kind of want one for the sake of having one. 
Well, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because uh, Michelle's dad has always wanted a 6x6. Since people were building their own 6x6s three, four, five years ago, he was like, I want a 6x6. But it was always a lot harder back then because you had to make things work. Like, for instance, if you were making a um, – if you're making a six by six, you didn't have a predetermined, you know, axle with an output to go to the third axle. You had to use two sets of SCX10, um, the OG axles, and use two pinion sides, and put a pinion coming out each side, um, just to make the center axle. So, which right. kind of meant it had a really narrow base, wheelbase, uh, or wheel width unless you put wheel wideners or deep offset wheels. Uh, then when they re-released um, the AR-60 in the new format that was under the bomber, in that parts kit, they had a diff cover that held a, another pinion, so you could use an AR-60 and make a 6x6 with that with axle. So now that they've redesigned this based off of the AR-44, you basically have all these different array of options to make your own custom 6x6s if that was the route you're going. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty rad. Yeah, that is. No, that's killer. I was super happy that they did that. That's going to be great. So, and then, um, and then of course, there was the what's in the box. Um, I don't really, I mean, I guess... I could talk about it because if you know I because I don't have a name I don't really know what the price point is I don't know if it's going to be an RTR kit um, I actually really didn't even see it myself I'm hearing it from Elio because I left early like I said and I missed it on Thursday because they only had timetables and I think it was like one to three on Thursday and we were up on the trail so I missed it um, and basically from what was being described to me is that it's going to be a bomber style rig but a little bit stubbier so it's not going to be like as long as a bomber with licensed curry plastic diamond housings with portals that's so, going to be so rad this is going to be a, an interesting rig and I, I I think it's cool. Um, I don't have any pictures. Of course, they wouldn't let you take pictures uh, when you saw it in the box because there was a person standing right there from what I was told. Um, but the fact that you can kind of hear what it is and, and get a, a feel for it, I think it's going to be a pretty sweet rig. Another cool rig coming out of the, the Axial Camp. Um, I know a lot of people you know, are kind of bashing and dissing Axial right now, but... I had a pretty cool talk with Rich um, when he came by and visited our, our uh, camp setup, and he was looking at all our rigs, and and uh, he, he brought in some, some good insight and um, kind of really opened my eyes. I mean, it's stuff that I kind of expected because being self-employed, being you know in, a, in your own business, you kind of understand um, already what usually takes place, but to hear it coming from someone to kind of get a validation of what's going on it was kind of cool um he made a very good point he said some things are going to change it's going to be a little different because horizon is now running it 
but he said there's a reason why Horizon's still in business and Hobby Co. went under. They're clearly doing something right. So the fact that they bought Axial and are going to be continuing to put out rigs, do events like Axial Fest, have the support um, and new content coming out, it's 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 going to be awesome. It's an awesome time to be in RC. So, you know, if you're, you know, on the fence about whatever, you know, rest assured, you know, we got plenty of rigs that are coming out that doesn't even include the rigs that are already out and the other companies that have already come out within the last couple months with their rigs, like the Enduro, mm-hmm. which I believe you got to run this weekend. Yes, correct? I did. Do we want to do we want to dive into that now or that di- dive away because okay. I think I've said everything I've needed to say about Axial Fest. Um, I've shared some of the po- some of the photos and posts that I took um, at Axial Fest on our um, that scale RC uh, Instagram and Facebook page. Um, if you'd like to see anything else, I can upload more. They're all on my personal Instagram. Um, but yeah, tell us about uh, the Enduro, your first run, and your thoughts on it. Okay, so um, I since I'm a Proline guy, I had to uh, put you know Proline tires on it, of course. So I took a RTR Enduro this weekend, threw some Predator Compound BFG uh, crawlers on there with Axial's t- or excuse me Proline's two-stage foam, and our courses are usually pretty gnarly. And so I ended up um, bobbing and pinching the bed just to, you know, give it a fighting chance at doing well. And uh, I had a tactic servo laying around, and so I had made a servo winch for it, which that was a super easy process. Like, there's no weird programming with the radio or anything like that. If you want to add a winch to this thing, it has a three-position switch right by the wheel. And uh, mm-hmm. it's not a momentary, which, you know, considering it's an RTR radio, I mean, whatever. That's that's a minor thing. You just got to remember to shut it off. You can't get too caught up in what you're doing and forget to, you know, bump it back to the off position. But, uh, yeah, super easy to add a servo winch. There's tons of clearance underneath it for doing a spool style, which is like what I did on this one. It, it, it seems like they had configured everything to where you can have it have the internal spool or you can do a spool underneath it um either way seems to work just fine on this thing so i was really excited about that um left the stock front bumper on it because i didn't really have a chance to whip anything up and i was going to use the stock body on it and the bumper had a fair lead built into it too which is perfect for server winch so just thought you know it's a lot of trouble to go through and it's going to work you know probably fine the way it is so those are really the only things I did is I chopped up the bed on it and added wheels and tires and a winch or excuse me added tires foams and a winch and man I was absolutely blown away by this thing um I before I had even ended up driving it I put the overdrive in it just because I knew that you know from past experience that it you know it needs it so I mean overdrive is one of those things that isn't going to hurt any rigs so I threw that in it and man, does that thing crawl good. I didn't add any weight when I had the wheels apart or anything like that. So this was still plastic wheels, you know, no ex- no weights or anything like that on it. Um, mm-hmm. Basically just a very lightly, lightly modified RTR. 
and oh my god dude it was it was killer like the stock electronics were super smooth on it it, it slow crawls awesome um had just enough drag brake to hold it i think if it was a little heavier rig you would need maybe a little more drag brake so having a you know, a, a ESC where you can have those adjustments and stuff would be nice. Um, I had moved the jumper over to 100% because it's uh, the same basic ESC as like an AE5L. Um, has two light outputs on it and stuff. I mean, it, it's almost identical. So, oh. yeah. So, I mean, if, if you're familiar with that AE5, you already know it's like just super smooth. So, um, yeah, the, the stock electronics were amazing. The servo on it was really my big question mark because I, I almost put a Protex servo in it just because, you know, and then I was like, well, that's not really an accurate way of gauging how capable this thing is, you know. I mean, you're that starts getting into doing more and you can't really call it an RTR necessarily anymore or a stock rig, you know, if you will. So, um there was one section where I got the steering to bind up and cut out and that was it. Like, I mean, under normal use and not, you know, like crazy, crazy obstacles. Like this was one of our harder courses. It was, it was pretty gnarly under normal use. I don't think that that servo is even going to be a problem for most people. Like it's actually the first RTR servo that is worth keeping in the rig you know and if you do replace it definitely hang on to the stock servo with it because you know use that to make your servo winch out of because i'm sure it'd be a great servo winch um but no i mean the thing was just great it was well balanced um the front rear weight bias was great there were some really steep downhills and uh you know the drag brake wasn't grabby it didn't you know like roll and then catch all of a sudden slow back down and have the back end lift up or anything you know it didn't try and endo down stuff it would just you let off the trigger and it was just descend on its own nice and slow and totally manageable it that thing was absolutely beastly the bumper of course did get in the way a little bit but that's a given when you look at it and you know mm -hmm. um it's just going to people that are doing you know heavier duty crawling with it are going to end up replacing that anyway so it's you know not a big deal you could drive around that it made it hard you know when you're trying to fit through like 12 inch wide gates it was you know that the bumper made that tricky um uh -huh. but i mean if it wasn't for that just like normal use the thing would be fine i mean it it was a great rig of course nothing broke i didn't think it would uh, the suspension was incredible. By far has the nicest suspension of any rig, you know, kit or RTR out there. It, the stock shocks on that thing work incredible. And they're, you know, they're, they're the same quality as what Associated uses on their race cars. So, I mean, you, you know they're going to be good. Associated race cars are some of the most popular ones at the track. And everything's just super high-end on them. You know, they're not a cheap car. And uh, a lot of that quality... Uh, carried over into this thing like with the rod ends and stuff like that like that's the same like really strong gray plastic that the racing cars use and uh man it was just it was such a performer dude like it it worked really well like i'm kind of kicking around the idea of having that be my next comp rig it definitely it, it was kind of funny because i started to get a little frustrated driving it and it was because i was 
I forgot basically that I was driving an RTR. And so I got in that like comp mindset where you're super focused on what you're doing and stuff and how you're driving. Mm -hmm. And so I was like getting a little frustrated with like the bumper and stuff. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute here, (laughs) you know, like what I'm asking for, you know, what I'm asking this thing for is not really its intended use. And so I can't, you know, so it, it was kind of funny. It was, it was, pleasantly surprising how capable that rig was and with just some very minor minor modifications that thing would be beastly um it was it was odd because it was one of the first times that i've driven something and been like man you know it really isn't hurting for anything i mean if you added some wheel weights like beef patties or something like that to it that would definitely make a difference or even just adding aluminum wheels to it would make a big difference that would help for sure you know having more weight down low like that but honestly honestly dude i think you could probably get away with just throwing wheel weights or a heavier set of wheels on the thing and it would probably be fine just the way it is just do that and leave it alone and it would probably work really good i mean when I say that I was getting frustrated with it, it was, it was more like I was expecting things from it that, you know, I really shouldn't have been expecting, but I was, uh-huh. but at the same time, I wasn't disappointed by it though, if that makes any sense, you know, I was just kind of like, okay, well, wait a second, look what this thing is doing right now. And yeah, the bumpers in the way, big freaking deal, you know, like, you know, look at what this thing is actually getting up and it's doing so well that you kind of, for the most part forgot that this thing really doesn't have anything done to it so it was incredibly incredibly fun to drive it, it was killer and then uh, i drug uh, brett and brenda out there with me from diehard rc um big shout out to element for coming on board and um sponsoring their crawler course and crawler program out there that was awesome of them they sent a demo out to uh Brett and Brenda, and then a bunch of prizes for uh, the raffle at an event that's coming up this weekend. We're going to do a nighttime uh, poker uh, poker run on Saturday night there on the course, so that should be pretty fun. But uh, oh, nice. yeah, Brett Brett drove a stock one. I threw a winch in it for him because you just you need to have a winch on our courses. That's just how it is. And uh, yeah, he he had a blast with it. He was super into it. It was the first time he'd ever done like any like super intense crawling because the course that they've got out at the park is you know like man-made and it's still being built and put together. And you know he drove my element there and liked it. You know, but the this was a real eye-opener for him, like what these cars are actually capable of doing. And. Uh, he was pretty blown away so he he's definitely sold on the element he loved the thing so that was pretty cool um so yeah we had actually there was a kid there that had a kit that he had just built too for his class two was an element kit and that thing did really well also so everybody was really happy nobody had any issues with him or anything like that and it makes me kind of laugh you know when you hear about like the list of things wrong with it that people are talking about online and stuff it it's pretty silly after uh after driving it and spending some time with it for a day i honestly can't lend any credibility to anybody that has a problem with that car like if someone's complaining about it dude they're doing something wrong like it it's the real deal and it's a performer and uh i i think that they're gonna be a new contender in the market the thing's pretty badass oh yeah um, I know I'll probably get a. I shouldn't get any flack for this. It was what I read. Somebody posted up um, 
a picture of their element with a SCX-10 II out on trail, I want to say about a week ago, and they they said out on trail with my SCX-10 II and SCX-10 III, and I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that is actually. So I mean, it's all in good fun. You can't, you know, you can't pick those. Oh yeah, no, like and and really, I mean, it's the stuff. It's kind of debatable, you know, with some of that stuff because they are using like kind of the proprietary parts, you know, format with using the axial stuff and having it based off that. But that axial trans that, you know, the three gear one that we have all come to love was uh, modeled very closely after associated stealth transmission way back in the day. So, I mean, it looks just like a buggy trans. So, exactly. you know, it, it's, there's, yes, there's only so many ways that you can put a car together is kind of the way I look at it. Um, I think it was a smart move having it use some of the axial parts. I think that works really well. And uh, immediately there's aftermarket parts available for a rig that just got released. So I thought that was actually really cool. But, uh, you know, it's just, it, you know, it, people are going to complain, but. I mean, everyone, you're always going to complain. You're always going to find that person complaining. But like what you were saying, it, you know, I'm trying to think of the right words to say what it's doing in my opinion, but by them using a, you know, a parts that are, or compatible parts that are already available. One, it's saying, why are we going to try and reinvent the wheel and make it harder for people to get stuff? Two, it's saying we're confident in our rig that it could use any part, you know, that's available and it's going to work. Right. So that's that speaks big volumes um i don't want to get like off topic or anything it kind of reminds me of um a gun manufacturer ruger they came out with a pc9 that's their model it's a pistol caliber um carbine and it shoots nine millimeter and it was kind of like when they came out with that they included a magwell that you could swap out and it would accept Glock magazines because Ruger knows Glock is the most bought, most owned pistol in America. So they're like, they already have those mag pistol magazines. Instead of them kind of being forced to get all new stuff for this rifle, if they already have a Glock, you swap it out and boom, you're good to go. Which it's kind of reminds me of that every time I hear it because mm-hmm. it's like a company is realizing, hey, we don't need to, you know, kind of come out and pound our chest and say, you must buy our stuff. It's kind of like saying, hey, look, we know there's other stuff out there. And in another way, it's almost kind of like paying homage to an, a company that's already, you know, established in that market. Yeah. So it's like you could take it in like multiple ways. So um, I think it's pretty cool. Um, it's a rig I'd still like to drive at some point. Um is it a you know is it something i'm going to go run out and buy tomorrow no just because i already well i already have a ton of rigs and i already have a ton of builds that need attention as it is um but you know it's one of those things it's definitely fun to watch um and it's you know it's like i said earlier it's an awesome time to be in the hobby there's so much going on right now it's, you know, if you're having a bad time in the hobby, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the way I look at it, it's kind of like how 
that comparison that you drew with like Ruger and Glock, it I don't see anything wrong with it. I I think that what they did is actually a huge service to not only to the customer that they're doing, but also to the aftermarket because people aren't you know they're not having to spend the next six months developing a whole new line of products to fit a new rig that just came out. You know what I mean? It it with using parts that are already available. It's going to increase aftermarket part sales for all the companies out there like, you know, uh, SSD and Vanquish and everything else because, you know, that's all stuff that you can use on this rig. It's doing them a favor and it's doing the customer a favor because you can deck the thing out immediately. So I, I think it was a really smart move and I think it was something that is pretty thoughtful, really. I mean, when it comes to, you know, the customer, I mean, it's keeping all of that in mind when they're releasing a vehicle i mean that that's pretty rad that was a long time before vitera sender owners could you know have any hop-up parts for their rigs you know exactly you know and it's kind of like, a bummer yeah and it's kind of the same thing like with the red cat when everybody kind of like assumed that because the red cat design was based off of axial style kind of the same thing axial i wouldn't say style it was more like the looks were similar to Axial, so a lot of people assumed you could put Axial stuff on it, and it came down to you really can't. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you isolate yourself into something like that, you know, it's it like you said, it's hard to get aftermarket support, mm-hmm. and um, until people R and D it, um, it kind of goes into you know like the like the real world one to one trucks. Um, the newer the truck the newer the technology the newer the style the newer the setup you need companies going out there doing R&D coming out with lift kits and upgraded um, tie rods and upgraded A-arms and upgraded you know shock mounts and whatever right. you know and it's you know so when you come out and just say hey look we're going to use something that's already there to kind of help you out then you know it's a win-win for everybody yeah no it is absolutely and i you know what's weird you you brought up like with red cat and stuff i i don't see a lot of aftermarket support for red cat i don't know about you what you've noticed but it seems like it's the one company that the ssds and these other outfits have kind of stayed away from making parts for it and it's like, is that a good or a bad thing? Because I've noticed Red Cat has their own line of upgrade parts, much in the way that Traxxas does. You know, because like with Traxxas, you can get their, they were all branded as like TRX I back think, in the day. Honestly, if you want my opinion, I think it's... You there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Honestly, I think it's more of a, yeah. Yeah. I think it's more of a, um, what's the word, like a... I still don't think the industry is taking them as serious as they probably should. You know, it's kind of like they're kind of like, okay, well, Red Cat's still, you know, trying to make that jump from, you know, lack of better terms, China grade and go to like hobby grade. Right. And, you know, it's so I think some of these aftermarket companies, you know, aren't ready to take on that. Um, you know, the re- I guess the response. Yeah, they might be in the wait and see mode still, you know. Yeah, because I think they're kind of waiting to see, like, okay, what's going to happen with with this company? Is it something that we should invest time into making parts? And honestly, um, with their last release, I think that that's you know more than enough reason to show that they're serious. You know, right? They really did their homework on it. Um, so I, 
you know, I think that yeah, it's a it's a company that people you know should get behind. Um, that way, you know, you have your Red Cat fans that you know that's their first crawler. They can actually you know upgrade it and pimp it out. Um, if they don't, if they choose not to go with something that's already established, like Axial or even like Traxxas, mm-hmm. I think Traxxas is more just their own like monopoly. That's just how they work. They're just right. like they like to keep all their stuff theirs, their own brand, their own this In-house, because house. They don't want other people's brands on their cars. Like they're very much like buy our hop up parts and that's it. Yeah, which you know that's that that's their thing because. You know, in my opinion, that like I said, these are always just my opinions, so don't take them personally. Um, Traxxas is always viewed in my eyes as like a toy because Traxxas started out as toys. They were your, you know, your you'd buy your Slash or your Rustler or the monster truck, like the E Revos. You know, those aren't scalers. They're those are, in my opinion, toys because mm-hmm. they're bashers. They're meant to have a good time and just, you know, right jump things and go fast and you know so once they came out with the TRX series you know that was their way of being a little more serious with the scale aspect because they were seeing how big the scale aspect was getting but that's when you need to allow you know at least with that line allow some other companies to come out with stuff because like you know realistically I mean think about it if you wanted to put a set of curries underneath your TRX4 You'd have to switch the gears over to like axial, so mm-hmm. you can run a set of curries underneath there. Yeah, by the time you're done with doing all that, you might as well have just had an axial rig. Exactly. So I think they should actually, you know, allow people to, or allow companies to start having some sort of hop-up parts available so if somebody has a TRX4 and they want to pimp it out they can go to Vanquish and get a set of axles or they can go to SSD and get a set of axles um, you're not stuck with just okay I gotta get what they have because I'm sorry I don't see Traxxas coming out with their own set of metal axles period yeah no so it's, it's just they're and you know they it's almost like they approach stuff like the real world automotive industry does if you think about it like Traxxas with their stuff they have it like uh, it says like Traxxas genuine parts you know on it and I I think that's part of the way that they're trying to market stuff is like with GM or with Chevy and like you know like Dodge with Mopar stuff and everything you know it's like they're trying to keep kind of keep it all in house and uh, I've heard other companies in the RC industry that our aftermarket companies really, you know, kind of voice some displeasure at, at that philosophy and like how Traxxas will be like, oh, if you put a different motor in it, then no, we're not going to warranty this or that. Which for me, I've never warrantied anything with RC cars, so I don't really care, you know, like that's never been something that I've worried about. But I mean, with some people, especially if they're new to the hobby, like if it says, you know, Traxxas genuine parts on it, that's what they're going to buy because they don't necessarily know any better and they know it's going to fit and be, you know, specific for their rig. There won't be any weird fitment issues or anything like that. And, you know, and a lot of people just don't know better. And I think that that is kind of who Traxxas tries to cater to. Whereas like with Red Cat, um, I think they kind of know that Vanquish and these other companies aren't going to just start pumping out Curry axles for Red Cat vehicles and stuff like that. And so they are 
providing that aftermarket support for their product in the way of their own branded pop-ups, which appear to be pretty solid and they're you know reasonably priced and stuff. So that that's cool. I mean, at least they're doing something. You know, I, you can't yeah. you can't fault them for you know not at least trying to cover some of those areas that people are going to want to upgrade their rigs and make them stronger. And there's a lot of red cats out there. And honestly, if the the element hadn't come out. Um, I think there'd be even more red cats out there. You know, I think I think that the element kind of stole some of the thunder from red cat there when it was released, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, how many people have seen that meme with the guy walking with his girlfriend and he's got his head turned at the other girl walking by? And do you know how many times I've seen that thing, you know, redone up and recycled? It's, yeah. it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the new hot chick is element and the, you know... <laughs> the yeah, girl he's with his red cat or whatever yeah and now they're actually have redone it again where the current chick is the element and the new chick is the vs410 pro oh that's funny so it's like i mean they just keep recycling that that meme it's just yeah which it's, it's a good one. Oh, speaking of which, this is off topic, but I need to send this to you. Dude, so I keep following the Area 51 memes because it's just funny as hell. Like, I just have, uh-huh. it, for whatever reason, it just struck me as, like, just one of the funniest things ever. There is a, a somebody made a video of, they did it, like, with um, a video game, and they actually made kind of, like, an actual, like, YouTube video and posted what would happen if people did Storm Area 51. Dude, it is so funny. You gotta see it. It is just hilarious. There's been so many great memes for Area 51. But I'll be sure to send that thing over to you. It's pretty good. And I've got some stuff to post on the page, too, from from this weekend, also. Okay. You there? Um, Yeah, I was actually going through right... Yeah, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. No, I wanted to post up that video from the 1-9 Wraith and some other pictures and stuff, so I'll put all that on the page for our listeners later. Okay. Um, I was going to say, because that actually got me looking at... Because um, I know we we posted that we were recording tonight, so we were... Um, yeah, you know, yeah, we got yeah, a lot but, of good questions on there. So, this, so we got one. It's not so much a question. It's more of, I guess, a comment from Tan... I guess it's Pi... I don't know if I butchered your last name. I'm sorry. It's P A I. I'm assuming that's how you say it. Um, he said, uh, "Mad props," or I'm just stoked to hear the breakdown of Axial Fest and how you guys think it went at um, the new spot. Also, mad props to the dude y'all talked to that road tripped it from down here in Texas. That's some serious time in the saddle. I believe he's talking about. Um, uh, he goes by uh, what's his name? I can't George something. I, I want to say it's George Gar like Garza or something like that. It's he. I know he goes by um, Wet Nightmares four twenty on Instagram. Oh okay, yeah, um, I know you're talking about. Yeah, he's from um, he's from Texas, so he drove all the way up. But it was actually kind of cool if you follow him on Instagram. He kind of posted his rigs in like each, you know. Um, in each state like he had some from uh from new mexico he stopped by a place in utah he stopped by some you know like he he just made a whole like kind of like trek all the way up and it was pretty cool to watch that made like an Um, adventure out of it and stopped at each state and took scalar pictures and stuff yeah that's awesome 
So it was pretty cool. That's definitely something that, you know, I would like to put on a bucket list. Yeah, no so, kidding. That'd be so great. Which, side note, um, when I was talking with my cousin and my aunt and uncle from Utah this last weekend, I was talking to them about possibly going out and visiting sometime. Uh, I might have to bring a scaler when I do that because uh, last time I was in Utah, I wasn't into RC, so that shows you how long ago that was. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, I honestly want to say for my cousin's wedding, and she got married when I was in seventh grade, eighth grade. Wow, so it's been a while. So that would be back in like 2000. 2001 something like that yeah so yeah it's been a while um so yeah like 19 years ago um what else uh we got jeremy kim i have an scx 10 2 and was curious what is a decent setup for scaling generally speaking especially for those who don't really crawl or scale i understand the concept but the aspect of Oh, I understand the concept in the aspect of racing, but I don't really understand the basic setup for scaling. Right. I so, I took him to our comp this weekend, actually. Okay. Yeah, he rode up there with me. Jeremy's uh, he's a racer from locally here that got all stoked on scaling once we started building that course out at Die Hard, and uh, now he's just all about it. It was really cool. Yeah. Um. I mean, I, well, so I mean, I'm sure you've already kind of steered him straight, but. Um, my basic like checklist for setting up a scaler is, you know, one is it scale? Does it look scale? Like, can you pass that off as a real rig or semi real rig? Um, two, it's really just set it up so everything works. It's kind of like setting up your one to one. You want to get in a rig that's just gonna point and shoot and it can crawl, and it's it's got a good uh you know weight. Um, distribution so you're not having too much weight up front to where the tail end wants to fly over you when you're coming down a steep descent but at the same time you have enough bite up front so when you're going up over an obstacle you're not just gonna you know turtle backwards and end up on your lid exactly uh, and then uh, you know just a good uh, a good motor that gets you um, enough low end torque that you can climb up something um, and I mean, I'll actually, that's one other thing I forgot to mention. I want to do a quick little shout out to Brandon Catton. Um, he set me up with his settings for the Trailmaster BLE uh, that he's running in one of his rigs. And I have that in my JK um, because I never tuned it. Like, And it goes to show you tuning your rig, if you're going that far into it, really can help out the drivability and how it performs. And it um the with his settings i that that rig works so much better now i could do slow crawling and the thing will just chug like a like a train right up over the the obstacle and if you want to still get a little speed or you still need a little horsepower to hop up over something or to just goof off you could just open throttle and the thing just takes off so that brushless setup is like dialed now so i want to nice. say thank you to yeah, I want to say thank you to Brandon. So if that also kind of answers uh, Jeremy too. So that just tells you, like, if you want to seriously dive into this, get yourself a motor speed control combo that you can um, that you can fine tune and get it dialed into your rig. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna help him with that and kind of help with his setup. Like, 
I've, I've seen his rig and so I kind of know like what needs to be done. Um, and it, it looks kind of like a lot of the guys that are new to the hobby, how it looks like, um, they'll throw bumpers on that stick, like stick way, way too out far. too far, body sits too high. So really what, I mean, for example, a, a perfect thing to address is that question with is like what I did to the element. Okay. So I got a brand new RTR and set it up to where it would do, you know, perform decent at a comp. So you're going to want to look at your overhang, you know, you're going to look at your uh, approach and departure angles, make sure your bumpers aren't sticking out a whole bunch or anything. If you have the ability to suck your bumpers in further, do it. Uh Um, Make sure the body sits as low as possible. And the other thing that I do is adjust the suspension to where it sits relatively mid-stroke. You know, that way it's got yeah. equal up travel, equal down travel. And really, I think that's one of the most important things. It's it's not, you know, throwing all kinds of parts and other stuff at it. Like, um, in his case, um, you know, I, I, I know what will benefit him. But, I mean, if I was to just give anybody, you know, just average Joe advice on, you know, when they buy something, how to kind of get it set up to where it's going to perform the best, that's what I would do. You know, pull the bumpers in as far as you can, make sure the body's as low as you can try and drop the suspension down as low as you can with keeping, you know, somewhat equal distance between, uh, you know, your up travel and down travel. And really that that's about it. I mean, it doesn't, it, it doesn't take a whole lot to make a rig perform good and that, you know, the element kind of proved that. So that was, yeah, I mean, that, that's just kind of my two cents worth on something like that is just work with what you got and make some small adjustments to it so that it's, you know, not going to get stuck in a lot of places and jammed up and you're good to go. Yeah, personally with the SCX-10 too, especially if he's just got a box stock one, um, I've pretty much found out, and I'm sure this goes along with a lot of crawlers uh, or scalers, pretty much aftermarket wheels, as long as they're aluminum, give it the perfect amount with a stock setup, like straight out of the box, um with the perfect amount of of uh, bottom end weight to get it to perform, because like my um, Deadbolt, the or the Deadbolt two, whatever you want to call it, the SCX ten two version, um, I really did nothing other than throw on some aluminum wheels, uh, new tires, and that's it. Yeah. And that that thing's like a billy goat for what it oh, is. Oh yeah, for sure. And it, it just blow it kind of blows me away because you're just like. I really did nothing to this rig, and it climbs really well. If you're new to the hobby, I really wouldn't deviate too far from just the setup that comes in and out of the box, honestly, until you get a good feel for the rig. Yeah. You know, I yeah. just kind of leave it alone and run it for a little bit and learn kind of some more of the basics of, like, you know, tire placement and stuff like that. One thing that would help him a ton, and I, I get the whole knockoff thing with, with wheels, you know, because they are an expensive item and... You know, not everybody wants to drop a couple hundred bucks on a set of wheels, but the knockoff tires, I don't understand because tires are so cheap already. And more important than the wheels on your rig, the tires are way more important than upgrading your wheels. And if you have crappy tires to start with, you're kind of behind the eight ball right from the beginning. Like he has those uh, Amazon knockoffs of uh, Proline Hyrax, and they're, Uh. dude, they're just garbage. They're so freaking hard. Like just they're they're junk. If if he had like an actual like real set of tires, he'd be a lot better off. So I mean that that's one thing that tires are already cheap enough. I wouldn't skimp on, you know, yeah. buying good tires for one of these things because it, it's 
it's only going to stick to stuff as good as your tires do. So that's a very important thing. Exactly. Um, what else? Uh, Kyle Predmore wants to say, first off, just wants to thank uh, you, Jay Kendall, um, and the crew for all the work at Die Hard, um, building the course, mentoring, and etc. Right on. And he wants to know, when is the next run? Oh, yeah. I, I told him he's going to miss it already, so that's a bummer. Yeah, that's uh, that's Kyle's a good dude, man. He's another racer that just got super into the scaling thing once he got exposed to it, so that's pretty awesome. Nice. Um, Ed, w- and Ed Wenger has a question. Oh, that must be in the actual... Uh, it, it's under Ty's. He responded to Ty's comment of how fast does it go. and uh, uh, So it, it okay. could have been missed easily. Okay, well, I'll get to that because I was going down the order because we got Brandon Catton and then we have Ty's. Um, so, Brandon Catton, uh, what is the what is it that really draws you into building scale trucks Fabbing your own stuff, performance, scale appearance, build process, etc. The one thing that you really enjoy doing to your trucks more than all else. God, I, I'll that's let, like a lot. you can go first because I I don't know if I have like a clear answer for that, dude. I don't think I can pick one. Oh, I have a clear answer. So basically, for me, it's always there's some sort of vision, whether it's a one to one or it's my own vision in my head of what I would want to build like if I was conquering the trail. Like that's typically the way I build my rigs. Like like for instance, when I built the yellow blazer, I was like, I want to build something that you would see mobbing down Rubicon mm-hmm. or something cruising down the beach, you know, going through sand dunes and whatnot. Like something like realistic. Right. So what I with that one was I kind of just looked at a bunch of pictures just start typing in uh blazer cage and and buggy blazers and like all kinds of just you start looking up words and then you find like pictures and you're like oh i like that like for instance i liked the um the cage that was on the one that i found so i was like i'm gonna copy it but it didn't have the cut doors i just wanted to do cut doors because that's a very popular thing to do on a trail truck because it allows you to hang out a little farther to see what's going on. Right. You know? So, um, yeah. So, it's just, yeah. So, you know, it's, um, you know, that's kind of what drives me. And then then once I kind of get that vision, then the performance aspect kind of comes into it because if you build this thing to look really well, but it can't crawl then you've kind of made a very you know detailed paperweight in my opinion you've, because, you've made them all crawler yeah because <laughs> it's it's gonna look good sitting on the table it's gonna look good posed in shots but it's never gonna you're never gonna have fun because it's not gonna do what you want it to do like if i'm gonna that's why like a lot of times when i build my custom bumpers uh for rigs it's usually simple and tucked because I know if you try to if you build it too big or too bulky or sticks out too far it's just gonna give you problems it's gonna hang up it's not gonna allow um, like for instance the other thing too is I've had this issue like I wanted to build like a pre-runner style where the bumper comes around the face of the grill or the bottom like at the you know where the 
air like I like the bottom of the grill would be uh-huh. and it comes wrapping around the body like you've seen it on Toyotas and it comes around and it wraps around um, in real life that gives you a lot of protection in the cars I've had issues sometimes where your tires flex so much and turn like so when it's turned and the suspension cycles and it goes up in the wheel well it'll actually catch that bumper so then you know you got to kind of make sure that it's not interfering with anything working on your truck um, so then that's when the performance aspect kind of takes over right. um, so like when you have your vision you're kind of like okay I want to build it like this but I still need it to perform so it's like a it's like a fine dance if you ask me it's like you just got to know wh- when to like pl- like for instance like place your foot here and turn this way it's kind of like the same thing it's like you need to know alright I want it to look this way but I need it to perform this way so how can I achieve that without totally you know butchering the body um so that's kind of like my recipe for building cars if that makes sense right yeah with i don't know because the way like the way i'm reading it is he's kind of asking like what one of these like what is the one thing that you enjoy more than anything when you're putting it together so like with me it's I don't know, I mean, I, I like all of it so much that I, I can't really pick just one thing. I mean, I like making my own stuff. Um, appearance, obviously, for me, especially with work, is like the number one thing that I go for. And then performance is second, because a lot of what I've got has to look good in pictures, and that's its like primary function. And then if it gets driven or used after that, then you know that's just icing on the cake so i mean there's a few that i actually do drive and it's like i'll build them have it look the way i want it to and then just kind of adjust accordingly to how it performs after that and then make any like minor tweaks and stuff but i mean like the one thing that i enjoy in the entire process is god i i just i don't know there there's too there's too many things like i can't limit it to one thing that i really enjoy about it that's like my favorite aspect cuz i mean it's like you know driving them is huge you know so i mean like that's obviously a popular uh, uh, you know an exci- a cool thing that i enjoy about it but i mean yeah i don't know there's there's no one thing that i like more than any other aspect of putting something together i just i kind of like it all about the same really because it's just all for me it's all part of the same process really i don't really have it like divided up you know in my mind and kind of choose what i like out of that it's just all one 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 motion if that makes sense yeah well i may cheat with this answer for that part of the question my answer would be as long as I get my image across, like I could transfer my image of what I wanted in my head down to the rig, then I'm happy. If if it's not turning out the way I want it to be, then uh, ultimately I'm not happy. Then you're like you know you're not happy with the build because right. it's not turning out the way. So for me, I would say transferring my image into my build and getting that point across is 
what drives me right. and that is my favorite part of the build and if you think about it like people that can do that are pretty lucky because i mean there's some people that they'll have something in their head and they have trouble translating that into a material thing in front of them you know not something that i run into a lot with uh people that want custom work done you know like with wraps and stuff because they they know what they want in their head but they can't translate it or express what their vision is to me and so it's hard to see what they're seeing and some people have trouble even taking what they're envisioning and doing it themselves you know like not everybody's is fortunate i guess in that aspect that they can actually sit down and make it look exactly like well, like your gold JK, you know, you saw a picture of one, you're like, okay, I like how this looks. This is awesome. I want to build it just like that, but have my own little twist to it as far as like the paint scheme and whatnot. And, you know, you were able to nail it and it's like, you look at the picture and you look at your real one and it's like, oh yeah, totally. You know, yeah, you, you got it. And not, yeah, not everybody and, can do that. Well, and I, and it's funny you bring that up because, uh, you know, there, there's, I guess the one build that I ever had that never came out the way I wanted it to be, so I scrapped it, was my original build for uh, Axial Fest 2017, um, the the gold mining one, the prospector theme. Um, I wasn't actually building a themed rig for Axial Fest. It was just I wanted to build a rig, and that was when Proline had just come out with the utility bed. So I was like, oh, it'd be totally cool to build like a chase truck wheeler kind of like, okay, you're on the trail, and it's got spare parts and this, that, and the other. I, I just thought it would be cool. Well, I started building it, and I couldn't get the chase rack to look the way I wanted to. It's just like it was fighting me every which way, so I finally said – I was like – about halfway through trying to design that as much as I could and I finally just said you know what I just don't like this like it's not turning out the way I want it to turn out so I ended up scrapping it and that's where the um, flatbed or the panel bed uh, Chevy the, 50, the whatever that is the 57 I want to say it's the Proline one, the C10 that came in. Two, you could get the cab, or you can get the cab with. Oh the yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have just the cab, and I and I have that. It's the one with the flatbed with the with the stake side, and I actually was able to turn it into a little bit more of a, you know, prospector theme because I threw the dredge, the mini dredge in the back with a with a gold mining kit and some, you know, gold mining accessories back there. So I was actually able to turn it into something, but that truck. I was able to actually get a point across because I had a vision in my head and I made it work. And so I was more happy because the the end result was what I had in my head. Whereas I had a hard time with the one before, so I ended up just saying, eh, why put something together that I'm not going to really be thrilled about, you know? Right. So, so don't think that it that it you know doesn't happen to all of us. It oh does. yeah, you definitely hit like a wall or a whatever the builder's equivalent of writer's block is it i mean it happens to me all the time i'll sit there and look at something and be like you know i'll I'll stare it for two weeks before i figure out what i'm going to do to it so it it happens to everybody it's it's hard creativity isn't something that you can just turn a switch on and whip out crazy shit it's like you know you got to be feeling it's got to be the right right circumstances and you have to have you know 
having a lot of different picks of whatever your inspiration is is a huge benefit too i mean if you have like multiple views of something to pull stuff from then that helps a ton oh yeah um moving down we have ty campbell's question is how fast does it go it goes all the fast it goes super fast yes so um and then in that we had a question from ed uh, wenger which is how to pick the best shock oil and spring rate for your rig is there any good tutorials on youtube or other sources that you guys know about i don't really uh i don't really like have like a go-to for stuff like that you know like it i about the only thing i use youtube for is like how to program my stupid fly sky radio because it, i forget every single time because it's a pain in the butt but i mean when it comes to like shock tuning and stuff like that i kind of have like my basic knowledge of how suspension works through like racing moto and how it works on off-road trucks and stuff and with crawlers and rc race cars you know it's like i i have a certain set of like philosophies that i've adopted to scale rc that i've taken from those other areas and for me um spring rate i try and get the rig to sit uh, and we talked about this earlier actually so i try and get it to sit roughly halfway through its stroke in the suspension so uh equal up travel and down travel um I tend to run a little bit thicker oils because it tends to make the rig more stable and predictable and it can allow you to like float a wheel over crevices and stuff like that if you need to you know you can float a tire across stuff rather than having like let's say a full droop setup where it's resting completely collapsed and only has down travel because then if you come across a crevice or something like that the wheel will drop and unless the rig is like super super heavy and weighted just right you drop that wheel and it's going to take the rest of the car with it so me personally i'm not a fan of full droop setup not a fan of no shock springs not a fan of no shock oil um shocks on your car are designed to perform a certain way and that's with oil because that damping controls the ride of the vehicle and it controls the motion of how the tires move and everything across the terrain and so my same philosophy is with all types of other motorsports applies to the crawling and that is you run oil you run a spring get it to sit about halfway through and uh yeah you know and have it be somewhat slow you don't want it springy you know it's like if one of the areas where running thicker oil helps is like let's say you're climbing up something and it's steep and you're kind of fighting for traction sometimes the rig will start hopping you know like it'll sit there and kind of hop like it starts to get traction and breaks loose Mm -hmm. and then the thing is like bouncing up and down that's one area where running thicker shock oil or shock oil at all because i know some people that only throw a little in to supposedly lubricate the piston and that's it um it's going to help control situations like that it's not going to be bouncing all over the place like a ball you know it's 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 actually absorbing that energy and doing what it's supposed to do so i mean that's a perfect example of where properly tuned suspension can help you so suspension is one of those things that i feel is super important on setup and i know some guys it's just an afterthought surprisingly for a lot of people suspension setup is an afterthought so 
As far as like the oil and stuff goes though, that's hard because it depends on the shock. So like axial shocks, I run 40 weight or um, 40 to 45 weight, depending on how heavy the rig is, or I run 1000 CST oil, which is another measuring system for the viscosity of oil. Um, axial stuff, you know, I run that thicker stuff. Now, if you try and do that in Proline shocks where they have a different piston, it's not going to work. So Proline is more like 20, 25 weight, I've noticed, because of the uh, hole sizes in their pistons. If you go and put like 45 weight in it, it's barely even going to move. So that's, uh, it, it's dependent on the pistons. And the only way to really figure out what's going to work is when you're building it on the bench start with what you think will work and you'll know right away when you start messing with it with your fingers and stuff and compressing the shock you'll know if it's too thick yeah um it's funny if you would ask me this question probably three to four years ago before the 10-2 came out i'd probably be a lot more knowledgeable or have like better answers but like honestly since the 10-2 came out most of my builds i don't really change out the shocks i kind of run the stock stuff you know like it's just i just kind of tune those like for mm -hmm. instance like if i notice that the rig's compressing them or bottoming them out then i adjust the spring tension or whatever you call it the you know the yeah preload adjustment preload adjustment and i'll just adjust that so it works perfectly like like example the the gold uh jk that rig has the stock uh, kit icon shocks and I actually always laugh at how that thing performs because it always performs, in my opinion, just like a real Jeep. I have those preloads cranked, by, I want to say, a good half inch down the, the, um, the actual threaded area. Like, they're turned up a lot because for some reason that rig, and I don't know why, I don't know if it's because it's got the you know the plastic cage or what it is up top but it's got enough up weight that it bottoms out the car every time so i i loaded it so it sits like you said it's kind of like at the halfway point but it's so funny that that setup is so soft that everything just kind of like does that slow i call it the jeep bounce like you start going up a trail and you kind of like tucks the rear tire then it kind of bounces and lifts the front one up and then it's it's just funny to watch mm -hmm. it because it reminds it reminds me of a real jeep but then like you look at for instance um and it's funny you said this if you look at some of my older builds my older builds i was a big user of the full droop shock or it wasn't full droop i take that back i did like a three-quarter droop so like i would always set up my shock so that the majority of it would pull the shock back down to ride height but, but i'd always put a little bit of a spring above the piston so it had some sort of up travel enough to where it would bounce a little bit instead of just totally riding at the bottom right and what i found what i found with that was when maybe like you said it your the rig was probably might have been balanced better but like my the truck i call the beater my hard body uh clod buster chevy with the wide um, we used to call it the uh, XR mod mm. back then, uh -huh. but that with axle, that those shocks are the G-made transitions, I think, mm -hmm. which were designed to be run 
in droop. Like they sold them to you. You were supposed to put the springs under the piston. You were supposed everything was supposed to be droop. But what I did was I took the spring that you're supposed to put under the piston and I'd cut like I go probably three quarter I'd divide it like three quarters, so I'd probably go up like two coils, snip it, put that at the top, put the piston in, then put the other spring, then put it all back together. So it would pull the it would pull the shock back but it still had something above it and that rig works really well it stays planted it's almost like watching like a spider crawl over rocks it just the wheels stick and it just whatever it comes up against it's always just staying planted to the ground and that's and that used to be like my go-to way of setting up rigs was the was the I call it the three-quarter or the 80% droop, and it would kind of help you just stay planted. Like instead of getting that bounce like you're talking about, you'd kind of get up to a to something. You'd see the body kind of want to bounce up, but because the shocks were in droop, it just keeps it sucked down. So once you kind of break the crest of whatever it is you're trying to hop up over, it'll just billy goat right up the rest of it. Right. So that was, like I said, that was my go-to setup. Um, so it's hard to say, like, is there a video? I mean, you could Google, um, like, SEX-10 shock tuning. You can Google um, scale crawler or scale rock crawler, one-tenth rock crawler uh, shock tuning. And I'm sure you'll find videos of people and their two cents. But it's really going to come down to just kind of seeing what works with your rig. Like, if it's too heavy, you're going to have to adjust things. And, I mean that's really my only answer I have to it because a lot of the times like eat like I'll run just the stock shocks and I might change out the oil or I might adjust the preload on it and that's the most I'll do because like some of the rigs like when I first got the um when I first got the deadbolt the first thing I did was after I put the tires on or the wheels and tires was I actually took all the preload out of those shocks and that thing works really well yeah, it, it it a lot of it just depends on like how the rig's set up, like what you're saying, you know, like it's it's tough cuz you almost just have to figure it out yourself cuz there's a lot of bad information on like social media and YouTube. Like you can ask a question on Facebook and you're going to get a million different answers. So it's it's like who do you listen to, you know? So I just for me, I just figure it out or ask one of my buddies that I, you know, like trust as far as like setup and stuff goes and that's it like I normally don't even consult any kind of you know reference or anything like that to try and learn yeah and like I said I'm probably like my answer is probably horrible now because like I said the rigs have gotten so good there really isn't any like in my opinion like crazy shock tuning you need to do right out of the box because they kind of give you something that works like yeah I get it some of the stuff like it doesn't work too like you know like probably not at its optimal performance but that's why i said like with my deadbolt i took all the preload out of the shocks which is what it came when you got it out of the box and i think part of it was they did that so the tires wouldn't rub the body yeah my tires hit the body a little bit now but you know trim them back just a smidge and boom and the thing crawls over everything um kind of like you know the the gold jk those are just stock icons i threw in whatever shock weight i had laying around which i want to say is like 35 weight ish Mm -hmm. 
think is what I got laying around. And I put that in there and I adjusted the preloads to the to that, you know, to where it was sitting and that's how I run it. And I don't know. I always say I've never seen a shock that doesn't leak, which you know that's just my I don't know if it's my luck or my you know what what I get to see like when I'm staring at other people's builds and or mine. Right. I always find leaky shocks. So Oh yeah, it, I just, it happens. I mean it's just kinda how it is. I mean like those shocks on the gold JK leak, but it is what it is. I'll I'll check it after like four or five runs and see how much has actually come out and it's usually not a lot and I kinda just top it off and go back to running it. I don't really yeah, like do anything. Yeah, I know, I know there's I mean there are people that use the team associated green slime and they put that in there so you don't you know have leaks or they put the you know special o-rings so you don't get the yeah. like I said I've always they've always leaked so I just go oh whatever I mean if you think about it you know with some of the builds like I do the you know the beat up trucks eh, if it leaks a little bit and the oil collects dust it looks like a real truck so that's why I kind of just go oh whatever yeah no it, there's some that I don't care about you know but like for example like what you were saying the way that they work out of the you know, right out of the box, like the one nine Wraith, dude. I love the shocks on that thing. And they're not leakers or anything. Like they work great. And I, uh. you know, I adjusted the ride height of it. You know, with the preload and stuff, and that was really it. Like I mean, they work fine. And the, the, that's such a light rig that the thirty weight oil, most likely that came in them from the factory, seems perfect with it. So I mean, really wasn't much of a need to monkey with it. And then with that UMG 10, the kit shocks worked really good that were in it. So I just, you know, I mean, it has pro lines on it now, but when it had the stock axial ones in it, it worked really well. I wasn't, I wasn't upset with it at all. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird what people have problems with sometimes. Yeah. And, and it's kind of funny you brought, you brought that up about the Wraith 1.9. Since I drove the Wraith 1.9 for like the most time it's ever had at axial fest, I must have rode that, that thing hard because uh, when I got home, all my shocks were leaking. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I was like, hmm, interesting. So it, I, like I said, I don't really care. That that rig works pretty good out of the box. Um, I definitely think some aluminum wheels would definitely change the way that thing works. It does. So, yeah, that that is a big help. I had done the wheels first. And then the most recent thing I did was the links, and uh, it was the first time I got to do like real crawling with it this weekend with the aluminum wheels, with links, all of it, and it was fantastic. Yeah, I, I think I've told you this, you know, off air when we've texted, but I think I want to, I might do the links next on that just to give it some extra like weight or something, and then do the wheels and then take it back out and and uh, see how it does. Um, because the the stock wheel and tire setup, they it gets you through like it got me through ninety five percent of the terrain at um, Donner up at Axial Fest this year, um, but there's a couple areas where, uh, you know, the stock tires, you know, they they are they're harder than the aftermarket, so there are some areas where they, they just didn't want to bite, and you were like just you know peeling out and not really going anywhere yeah you don't have in they're a harder compound and then you don't have any real weight in that rig either and that makes it tough like but the cool thing is is that when you do start adding weight to it it makes a huge difference because that is such a light vehicle to begin with with that tube chassis 
Oh, exactly. That's why I was going to say it'll probably, if I probably took the tire and wheel combo off the deadbolt, I'm sure that thing would work like a champ. Oh, yeah. It, no, it'd be great. And then if if you do do the brass links, like it's an inexpensive and awesome upgrade to it because, dude, I'm, I am so happy with how that thing crawls that I'll post the video up on the pod show page but man if if you would have seen that line from my angle where I was driving like it's traversing off probably about a foot just hanging by the front right tire like that thing is just so capable and like good like I I don't want to monkey with it now like honestly I don't want to mess with anything that like setup wise on that rig because I'm so happy with how it works now like it was, and nice. it, and it wasn't expensive you know it wasn't an expensive yeah. build at all it was super easy so I don't know no, I, I, I would definitely recommend doing that you'll be pumped on it no I agree and um, the other thing I was going to say you know maybe like I said we'll see if we get some feedback is would, would anybody like to see us kind of do I wouldn't say like a budget build but like a little build series of like hey we got a you know this rig and this is what we've done to it or this is what we're doing to it and then kind of show some results so people have an idea like a baseline of where to start if they wanted to start you know tinkering with their setup so they have a rig that crawls a little bit better or you know will perform a little better or climb a little better whatever it is um you know sorry about that I set my phone down and i don't know if the thing oh no it's fine you got that on the vibrate i always forget um yeah so um yeah i don't know if that would be interesting to somebody if they'd want to see it or if they'd tune in or whatever yeah i yeah let's <laughs> let's see if we can get some feedback from people about that because that'd be cool i mean if, especially with us both having the exact same rig i think it'd be kind of cool to just kind of chronic you know follow in chronology like us what we've done to them yeah, because I mean that's like the same thing I was talking about with the, um, with the Can Am, um, the Yeti Junior. Uh, I got it and I kind of messed around with it a little bit when I first got it, just because I couldn't get over the fact that how cool it was. Excuse me, and um, I was just like, oh, this thing's so cool, and I just would like play around with it. Well, I decided to now kind of like, I wouldn't say exactly throw money at it. But like I wanted to get it a little to perform a little bit better, um, and there's a local guy to me, Chino, and um, he's like big time Yeti Junior. Like he loves it, and uh, he locked his front and rear and said that made a, a difference on the runtime of the battery, which makes sense because the way it comes, it's open diff, so you get a lot of wheel spin because there's no traction, so it'll just spin while the car's not really going anywhere. Right. So once you start locking, you know, like I just started with locking the rear end just to kind of see where it would go. And I could see why having the front locked would help. Um, I'm not quite sure if, if I'm going to do that yet or not. I'm still on the fence about it. Um, but for now, it's like a fun little rig just to kind of like bash around with and just, you know, zip around. And like it power slides really well with the locked rear end and uh, with the uh aluminum steering upgrades that i did i did the c's knuckles and then while i was in there i upgraded to the aluminum steering um what do they call it the, the steering brace or the steering oh the rack the rack um 
all that extra weight, that thing now, like when I first got it, I don't know about you, and I don't know if this was just because it was on pavement, but when I was going up and down the driveway with it, if I was at full speed and I held the speed and turned, the thing would just barrel roll on the on the concrete. Mm. And I was wondering if that was due to the fact of how top heavy it was. So now with the added aluminum down low, the thing just I mean, I could be full speed, like I mean I know I was in loose dirt, but I was at full speed, loose dirt, crank the wheel, and the thing just slides. <laughs> and it's like I was like, Yeah, I think before the thing would have just barrel rolled. So I was pretty happy with it. You're making me really want to get the servo fixed in mine and drive it some. <laughs> um, the other thing I did for it too, and I don't know well, see, like I said, you have a different setup for yours. Um, my speed control isn't lipo rated, so what I did was bought two small 2S lipos that'll fit with a lipo alarm, so that way, once it drops, I know to pull it out, put a new battery in it, so it doesn't destroy the lipo. Because basically, right. that's all it is. Is it just that that uh, servo or the ESC doesn't have a lipo cutoff limit? So if you put a lipo to it, it'll just run it to the lipo's dead. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, so I don't know. Like I said, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I would like to see if I could find some aftermarket. I think some aftermarket billet wheels for that thing would be sick. Uh, but I don't think. Cool? But I don't think anybody makes them. No, I know it. I. I've kind of wanted the same thing. I mean, hell, even something cool looking that's like 3D printed would be neat. I mean, just anything at this point would be kind of cool. But I don't really mind what's on it. But, man, it's oh, just no. its like one of those things where it's like if it had this, oh, my God, it would be amazing. Yeah, I'm not – yeah, I'm the same way. Like it wouldn't – like it's not like a deal breaker for me. But, I mean, I think it would be kind of cool. Um, I would actually think it would be kind of cool if somebody actually – but, see, I don't know how you do this is – if you actually made some sort of a functioning um, hub for that where the four bolts that actually would hold on the wheel in, in the one-to-one -one world actually would hold the wheel onto like like the SLW-style hub, like some hub that you use that same center screw to hold it on there, but you have the four little ones to, to hold the wheel on to just give it that extra scale look. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, it would be neat if these were something that caught the aftermarket's attention and people started making parts for. I know, like, Hot Racing has some, but, I mean, it would be neat to, like, have some motor options and have, you know, just like what you're talking about, like, wheel and tire selection to choose from. And it it's not going to happen, I'm sure, but it in a perfect world, that would be pretty rad. Oh, yeah, no, I think it would be pretty cool. And, uh... Like, I actually thought it was pretty crazy because when I was looking at some of the uh, Yeti Juniors, the Can-Ams that were at the concourse at Axial Fest, there is one, and it's it's got to be like a hot racing or like an eBay item, but uh, he had anodized red trailing arms. Oh, sick. So I was like, hmm, I, I haven't really seen that too often, so I said that's got to be an aftermarket part from like hot racing or something. So, wow, I'm gonna have to look on eBay and see. I know AMA has some of the hot racing stuff, but I think theirs is all black or black and blue, and that's it. 
Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it was the black and blue, and I was actually really impressed. And actually, who's not for the first time? Even Todd Norton was holding it, and he was looking at it. He goes, "Dude, I still can't believe you dyed those red parts, and they came out that good." It's crazy, huh? Like you wouldn't think dyeing plastic would even work. Like you wouldn't think it's porous enough to where it make a difference. But man, it and clothing dye on top of that, like who's the crazy genius that thought to even try that you know what i mean yeah exactly well like i said if anybody that's the other thing too i know there's there's tutorials out there but um and i might have said this before on a previous episode but if you are looking at dyeing your plastic parts i recommend adding some uh distilled vinegar to it um it really helps the dye penetrate the plastic um and then the other thing is get the water, or at least I did. I did the water-vinegar mixture and got it to just about boiling and then dr- then turned it down just a smidge and then dropped the parts in. And I my biggest fear the first time that I did it with some wheels um, a while back was I was afraid that I was going to melt the plastic. Right. But then I realized, which has been – you know, this is where the nerd's gonna come out in me. If you want, like, if you if you're a fan of MythBusters, the water actually acts as a barrier between the flame. So yeah, the flame is gonna be hotter than the water is, but because the water isn't is kind of like shielding it from the direct flame, it's unless you have that thing like super cranking like boiling water, I don't see how you could melt the plastic. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, and I think that was my biggest fear the first time was I was afraid of melting plastic. So, like, I got it, I got it, like, almost boiling. Then I turned the heat off completely, threw the parts in there, and let them sit. Well, the water cooled so rapidly that the parts didn't really take the dye that well. I wonder what it'd be like to scratch that stuff and see, like, exactly how far the dye penetrates into the plastic. That'd be interesting to see, huh? Um, I know that it's that it's pretty decent because I got scratches on the bottom of mine and it's still black. Really? Oh wow. So, um, I don't know how deep it goes into it. To be honest, I mean, like, I get what you're saying. Yeah, like, I'm just curious part, now. You know, take a part and like literally take like the exacto saw or like your Dremel and cut it in half and see what it looks like. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I because I because I know when I was driving it up to the concourse, there was, excuse me, um, there was one rock that I didn't see because all of a sudden the rig wasn't going anywhere, and I'm like, what the hell? And I looked down, and it was the rock was like almost bigger than the car, but I wasn't paying attention, and so kind of high centered. So when I kind of pushed it with my foot, I know it slid across that rock, and when I was putting it away, there was a lot more scratches on the A arms and the trailing arms, so. Um, but they were, but it was still black. Like you still saw black. So That's I don't cool. think they were, I don't think they were super deep, you know, um, scratches. But shows you that you know the trailing art or the dyeing works. You know, it's funny. You you said you mentioned vinegar. Like I've done that dyeing clothing before, and then also uh, way back in the day, my grandmother had told me, you know, when you buy like black t-shirts and stuff, soak them in a bowl of vinegar and it'll help them from fading as quickly. So I, I don't know what it is about vinegar and coloring agents, but for whatever reason, it seems to make a difference no matter what you use it on. That's kind of crazy. 
Yeah, well, it's kind of like back in the day when, like, you know, you used to like dye Easter eggs. They always say, you know, you use like you could throw it the the little tablet in water and it'll dye the egg, but it won't do the same as like the color be way more vibrant if you throw if you replace the water with vinegar. Right. So, I don't know, but it also says it on the bottle or the box, depending on what you get. Oh, um, okay. It'll, it'll say, you know, if you're doing plastics and nylons and stuff, they say add vinegar it'll definitely be a crisper color but if you don't want it you can just use water the big difference there is that you read the instructions (laughs) (laughs) i probably would have known that i have i ever had i ever done that well because i wanted to make sure i had it right because like i didn't want to you know i didn't like like i said i was i'm not gonna lie i was nervous doing the stuff on the can-am because i was like all right i'm at the point of no return the car is completely disassembled, and I'm like, either this stuff's going to turn out or I'm going to be buying new parts. So I was like, let's see what happens, and it worked out. Well, so. And it's not a lot of money, but at the same time, like all of those parts can eat up a $50 bill pretty quick. Oh, yeah. So, no, I, I feel you there. That's, yeah. That's a, I always, I'm such a weenie when it comes to stuff. Like, I'm always so worried about hurting things or breaking stuff or ruining it. Like, man, like, I think, like, when I mess up on something, like, I come down on myself harder for that than anything, I think. Yeah, no, I get it. My whole thing was, it it would be, for that, it would have been more of a hassle. Like, I mean, like, some people even say, why didn't you just go out and buy the the parts anyways? Because, like, you could. You could go out and buy. They have all those parts from the original Yeti Junior. You could go buy all those parts from Axial, I think. Like you said, you're probably looking at about 50 bucks or so. But I think I paid, like, 7 bucks for the die, and it took 15 minutes of my time. Well, 15 minutes of my time dying it, it took me about another half hour stripping the car down. Right. Really, though, I mean, for the results you got, that's a easy and awesome, awesome way to customize it. Oh yeah, and it just it made it especially with the wrap you you provided for that. It definitely the fact that now everything was deleted was all the red was deleted and it's all black. I it totally changed the look of the car. Yeah, no, it makes a big difference. Yeah, I got lucky because mine just started out with all the black pieces to begin with. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I want to say, I think, I mean, I, I know we are done with all the questions, but that kind of wrapped up all of the questions and comments we had this week. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I, I mean, I think I covered everything and I, I want to say we're getting close to our time. Yeah. We're at hour and 38 right now. Yeah. See, I was going to say, I knew we got to it. Um, yeah, so that's about it. I mean, I really don't have anything else uh, for yeah, this we week. we covered the new releases. We covered Axial Fest. We covered the Enduro. Um, yeah, I think that was pretty much it. Yeah. But this is the only uh, bad part about not really having a format is like, okay, did we get a chance to talk about everything we wanted to talk about? <laughs> you know, like making sure we got it all. Yeah, but at the same time, 
I think the the feedback we have gotten about how we're doing it, like it's like you know sitting around the campfire just BSing, is is kind of cool. Yeah, for uh, sure. And you know what? The, actually, there is something I want to say about that too. Is I, I wanted to like thank our listeners and the people that interact with us like on social media and stuff. It is so nice to be on social media and just not deal with any BS or drama or trolling or anything like that. So. Like, huge shout-out to all the people that listen to us every week because you're a great group of people, and that's what's keeping all of this stuff fun, you know? It's the whole reason behind it. And so, you know, thank you for being civil to us and each other and everything because that is not exactly a common thing in a lot of uh, areas on Facebook and whatnot these days. So, um, Oh, yeah. Got a thank you, good group of people. Uh, and thank you for actually giving, you know, your time to even caring about what we're talking about, you know? Yeah, uh, for sure. We could be sitting here doing this every week and have one listener, for all we know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, no, it's so, awesome. Thank you, guys. It, um, and I think it's going to continue to grow. Um, I know the other thing that we haven't really done in the past, but um, these are just some things that are on the top of my head, because um, I've seen it pop up as questions, not just to our show, but to like myself and friends in general is like what is the next event you're going to be at and what are some of the next events that you got going on oh, uh, for, yeah. for me real quickly um, and this is really all I know that I have for the rest of the year I'm sure other things are going to pop up but like surprisingly I really only have two more events on the books um, and that is ASD the autism awareness crawl this will be crawl number four and um, this will be the fourth year they've done it. And it's at Frank Rains OHV in Patterson, California. I will be there, which is August 17th, I want to say, because I'm staring at the calendar that is still on July. So um, <laughs> That's so funny that you said that. Because mine says July too, and right as you said that, I stood up to flip the page and re-stick it to the wall. So yeah, so I think it's the seventeenth. It's either seventeenth or the eighteenth. I know it's that weekend, um, or around that weekend. Um, I can always post that up on our page. Um, then after that, I don't really have anything scheduled for September. Um, we, I mean, me and my buddies have thrown the idea around. Well, actually. There is, if you're in the area, um, Stephen Lee is hosting the Cantina on the Con, the Scale Con, which is what we used to do a few years ago with CKRC. Um, we used, uh, we'd go to Cantina on the Con, which is a one-to-one event, and run our scalers through the Rubicon. And so that's Labor Day weekend if you're in the area at uh, Rubicon in um, California uh, what else And but I don't think I'm going to that I don't know yet um, that'll be a last minute decision um, and then in October I believe it's October 5th it's the, I believe it's the first weekend of October is uh, Crawl for a Cure I'm trying to think of what year this is. I've been to every single one of them. Um, I believe this is the seventh annual. Wow. 
because they started in 2013. No kidding. That's that's a long time. I want to say. Um, yeah, no, it's crazy. When the first one came, it's another one. That's like, for me, that's like how my Axial Fest experience was. It's It started out with like 40 people on the first one. And then you got like 10 more people, then 20 more people, then 50 more people. Then all of a sudden, they're hitting numbers now. Like you're getting upwards of like two, 300 people. So it's pretty cool, and it goes to a good cause. Um, all the proceeds go to um, the American Cancer Foundation, um, and I, I mean everything, from the raffle ticket profits to the special items that people you know auction off there, to the ticket sales, to the T-shirt sales. I mean everything that they do for that. 100% of the proceeds go to the American Cancer Foundation and uh, the other cool thing Mark does with that is if you are a cancer survivor uh, you get in for free oh wow so you don't have to pay to come out that's so, very cool so it's it's pretty cool so um, I've been like I said I've been there every year since it started um, so and I'm going to continue that to the best of my abilities. Um, so I will be there. That will be October. I, like I said, I think October 5th. I really should pull up the – actually, here, since we got the computer open, why don't I just do that? I'm actually going to try and make that one. That would be cool. Just so that way I can actually um, have everything make a little – you know, sound a little more uh, – professional <laughs> uh, if I can actually get to it real quick okay let's see yeah CRC at Cantina on the Con is Saturday August 31st that's interesting is that actually when they're doing is that Labor Day weekend because it's always Labor Day weekend yeah for some reason that, that would be okay so yeah uh, which will be at the Loon Lake um, Basin. Um, then let's see. I don't know why this doesn't do this. Why it doesn't pop up in here under events. It's very weird. Um, if for some reason the... But when you go to their page, it talks about it. It's very interesting. Oh, no, there it is. Crawford here, Saturday, October 5th at Bear River Lake Resort Campgrounds in Pioneer. Um, that's Saturday. Um, and then, if you're very adventurous, uh, October 17th, which is a Thursday, Scaled Up Moab Edition with Scalar Fab and Twisted Jeeps is going on in Moab, Utah. Oh, cool. And then uh, the other big event that's happening in October is the is the RC Foil Drive West Coast Scale Challenge at Lake Kawea in uh, Visalia, California. That's October 25th, which is a Friday. So, um, but out of those events, Crawl for Cure and the Autism Awareness Crawl 
are my, which is Saturday, August 17th, is the fourth annual Autism Awareness Crawl, like I said, at um, Frank Rains and Patterson. Those are the next two events I will be at. Um, and yeah. I am just at local stuff here. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And I think that's, and like I said, I think that's it. I think that's all I got going on. Yeah, we'll try and do Crawl for the Cure. I'll see if uh, I can get Jared to go down there with me. That would be a fun one to do, but that will probably be our only like outside adventure this year. Yeah, no, it would definitely be fun, dude, um, if you can come down. Yeah, I think so. that would be a great time. And it's a good cause and everything else. It's There's a lot of really good reasons to show up to that thing, so we'll try and do our best. Exactly. So, all right. Well, with that, um, I say we uh, wrap it up until next week. Sounds um, good. If anybody has any further questions, comments, concerns, get a hold of us um, on our Facebook page. And if you're going out having fun, trailing, scaling, just be safe. Yep. Always. Alrighty, guys. Well, until next week.